<clears throat> All right. Let's, like uh, is that too loud or is that good? That's good. That's okay. Cool. We need these in the tree stand. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Cody, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I see one coming. And those blinds, I bet you could. <laughs> the blinds, you don't need them. Blinds, right. you can hear each other pretty good. But the tree stand. We were always going to do that at times, you know, because you got, you always had it one way. Yeah. You know, if a camera guy has speaker or headphones on, we thought, hey, this is put another one so I can, I can hear, hear you, you too. Because, yep. I mean, most of your you camera guys. you know how many guys. times that's happened where it's like the miscommunication between the hunter and camera guy? Oh, yeah. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. We've always thought about that. You know, because so many times, well, I thought you were on him. I thought you said shoot or yeah. whatever. You, know? <laughs> you just kind of like, but I mean, it, not that you necessarily need it, but most of the time you're talking with each other and stuff anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That was helping me with Brad this this year whenever we were up at Roman and that deer was coming through and he stopped behind that tree and I was like, no. And he, <laughs> he thought I said go. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we are kicking off another podcast. Uh, we've got two guests today, Cody Cooper, who... What's going on, guys? You said this is kind of your first podcast. You did one in high school or college. college yeah, for sure. Uh, Cody is an extremely talented videographer and photographer um how what, give a quick background on kind of how you got into the hunting space um really kind of started as a hobby and then um i went to college and didn't really know what i wanted to do and then i made made that decision that i was like well i'm gonna pick up a camera and start my own business and then once i made that decision i just never really turned back so now i'm here now nice. he's a legend <laughs> he really is <laughs> I, I wish you could have seen how what he did in kansas with us it was we were pinned down by this deer in a milo field and he like one armed held this camera in the air filmed this deer in perfect focus centered up frame everything and his arm was extended in the air holding that heavy camera for like at least five minutes it was rough yeah it was hot and like we just crawled probably 250 yards and we didn't crawl slowly it was like a sprint crawl like we were crawling as fast as we possibly could and then yeah we got pinned down and that was an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously the next guest is Lee Lukoski, who needs no introduction. I'm sure most of you guys uh, have watched uh, Lee and Tiffany's show, The Crush. Um, it's been an honor to be here. I mean, I, I look up to you guys in a really big way. Um, and so to even be here has just been such a cool experience. And I wanted to do this podcast kind of on the tail end, just like so I could get my feet wet with getting a glimpse of how y'all do things out here. And then, I mean, I've got a laundry list of questions uh, <laughs> that I want to ask. And, and what's kind of, so, so you know, I know Thomas and Cody super well, and they've filmed for you guys, and, and y'all have gotten to know them really well. And I always thought I was kind of just out in this world by myself of how obsessive about deer, obsessive is not even the right word. It's just like, without it, you, you just like, withdrawals like it's an addiction it's just like a, a, it's past obsession where it's like all you think about um and i thought i was alone out here but i'm <laughs> yeah, not you're not you're not <laughs> and i think that you actually have surpassed my level of the obsession i thought i had with yeah your... it, it's to the point it's like if you didn't have it i don't even know what my life would be yeah. i mean I, I, I don't have other things that i'm super passionate about of course like fishing and some things like that but not like not like hunting and chasing deer and things like that and it's like i I don't even know who i would be without it to be honest i I don't know what i'd be doing i feel the same way and i'm like 
I'm sitting here. I've thought this so many times because I'm still in the, I guess, the shock phase that I actually get to do this for a job. And I, like, sit there and I think yeah, about it too. all the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess it never wears off. And I'm like, what would I be doing if we hadn't made hunting our living? Because I would be just a lost puppy. <laughs> um, and I've had a bunch of, you know, previous jobs that kind of led up to this. And that that's kind of, like, what sort of what I wanted to kick off talking with you about is, like, I know bits and pieces of how y'all got started, but I, I really wanted to uh kind of hear it from the beginning of like how y'all how y'all even got got here um i think everyone's story is super cool and i just kind of want to hear yours and how y'all kind of came to be and how it led to all of this yeah i think i think you know it's it's you tell people and people hear it and stuff but i think for someone like yourself you, you understand it more because i think if you when you're that obsessed with something like we are it's always going to lead you to that spot and so my whole life has been that way. You know, I just was so infatuated with deer since I was, since I can remember. I mean, before, probably like four and five years old, I remember like my dad, my grandpa would go hunting. I just sat in the window like all day long waiting for him to come back to see if they, have, if they shot a deer. And then I'd have my BB gun and then I, then I shot my own deer 857,000 times a night if they were to get one that was hanging in the barn, <laughs> you know, the with the BB gun pretending anyway. <laughs> But you know, it's just it's like after after high school, it was like okay, but just my you just like okay, now I don't have to go to school every day. We can start hunting, but then you know, okay, I gotta do something else too. So you'd go to college, but you never, I never really cared about it. You know, it's like I'll just do something. It doesn't matter. I can skip school pretty easy, you know. And and of course, you know, you have to got like a when like economics or this or that, and it was basically deer hunting. You know, like I told you last night, I think it's like, wow, my sister's like, oh, you never do anything with your life. All you care about is, is, is hunting, you know? And it was like, yeah, but yeah, I just kind of feel sorry for you that you don't have something that you're that, that passionate passion. about, yeah. you know, but I think it, it, and then, and then it got to the point where like back in, back when I was like a teenager, when we first got, you know, driver's license, we could, we were free, me and my buddy Paul, we could go out and knock on doors and find places to hunt and you know back then bow hunting not that many people did it and so it was pretty easy we could go i mean we lived in minneapolis i could see the ids tower from my bedroom window i mean my neighbor i could look out my window 10 feet and look into my neighbors we didn't i didn't know anybody that had any farms i didn't none of our relatives nothing like that i, I never i didn't know anything about farms or anything but you, know, you don't have to get too far out of minneapolis and there was you know it, farms and woods and country you know and so when we were 16 it was like hey maybe we can drive our cars we, could, we drove down to iowa we drove to kansas we drove all over places because you know we only knew deer hunting in minnesota and for me northern minnesota and there was just timber there was no fields up there and there was you know more wolves than there were deer and that's where kind of started my obsession when it started you know first started hunting like at nine years old with my dad i mean we just we'd go out in the first 12 years i probably didn't see seven or eight deer and i just thought like i see all the magazines and so my grandpa had an outdoor life and the big stacks of magazines in their in their house and i'd read every one of them and i just i would see tracks out there and stuff in the snow and you just think man i i just don't know i, I don't know enough about it you know to to shoot them so I just red and red and red and everything just infatuated with them but then when we like i said when we turned 16 and we could start driving 
places and start seeing that hey there's places that have a lot more deer than up there now not even knowing as a kid you know when i started that there really wasn't very many deer up there you know there's more wolves than deer like i said so then we just started knocking on doors and you know there were so many people back then that would that even they hunted themselves on their farms they go you want to try shooting with a bow yeah go ahead and of course it started getting to that point where you started shooting some and they're like, right. well, hold on a minute here. You know, well, my grandson wants to hunt now and stuff, you know. Story and then of it my started, life. started getting more and more and started getting, you know, to the point where it was getting to be a struggle, just knocking on doors and you're losing some of your best spots. And then, of course, it clicked in my in your mind and said, all right, I see where this is going. I'm going to have to do something to buy my own. So it's all right, I got to get back to back to school because in the time i was messing around and i was painting and worked at an archery shop for eight years and so just you, doing you were stuff. a teenager this at this point right yeah into my 20 probably just early 20s okay. you know that, that's funny because uh i can't tell you how many spots of permission i've lost because i've you know done the whole spiel getting permission you know shoot a nice deer or something like that and then the next year it's like oh my uh my cousin's gonna hunt or my you know my yeah, nephew my or, son, yeah yeah like, Kind of open sure. that eye, open the eyes of that, which is good. Like you know, more people getting involved in hunting, but at the same time, losing your spot does kind of suck. Yeah, and so you could see where it was going. You know, yeah. Um, anybody would at, at when I first started bow hunting, and like in my teens, but now I'm into like mid twenties, almost. You know, um, not sure what I was going to do. I just, as long as I had enough money in my wallet put gas in my old truck to get out hunting i was good but then you could see like i said i see you see the writing on the wall so i was like all right i gotta go back to school and so i was like well what's the hardest engineering thing you can do that has made the best chance of making the most money right away and at that time for you with chemical engineering and so it so the whole motivation the behind doing the chemical engineering was to get your own deer hunting ground. 100%. 100%. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, you would have never thought it. I mean, because I basically failed math and science stuff in high school, but I didn't care. I cared about deer. But then when you, it's it's amazing what you can do when you put your mind to it, just like anything. And so just hammered it on, on homework and, and stuff. And it's like, why would I think this is hard? And, like, after the first year of college, I was a... I was a tutor for chemistry, physics, and math, and that's where I met. I met. Well, I met Tiffany first through what, my sister. She was a friend of my sister, but she's nine years younger than me, so it was like you know, just a little girl back then. You know, you never yeah. pay attention. But now, after I had, you know, went back to college at twenty-five, and she was coming up through in college, so I would help her. She'd come in and help with tutor with math and stuff, and then we just start hanging out and shooting at the archery shop because through through the years of college, then I was working at an archery shop for all through all those years so then just aced through that you know the chemical engineering degree with the university of minnesota and then of course by the end of that you're like dang because even through school you can skip and arrange classes around hunting and so then you're like oh gosh now i gotta get a real job how am i gonna <laughs> how am i gonna do this so then i worked at the coke oil refinery um process engineer took the job a job there intern there first and loved it and got hired on so my senior year i already had a job so it was that was good my senior year i could screw off a little bit more and go hunting some more right but i took that job because they we, they started a position 
um, they're called a refinery shift manager where, cause like on night, like on night you'd get called out or whatever, if they had any problems or whatever. So they kept engineers like on overnight, like on shift work with, with the guys out in the refinery. So that was perfect for me. I didn't mind working 12 hour days as long as you had the days off. So we'd work like three on one off three on and then like four on. And then you had like the week off, like 10 days off. So then I could take my three weeks vacation and butt it up to each one of those. And so I'd have like four weeks and then come right back around. And so I almost have like five weeks off. So like every month I had a full week off where Tiffany and I, Tiffany was a flight attendant when we first, when we first met and I mean, even long after we were married, but so we could fly anywhere. So every time I had a week off, it didn't matter what month it was. It'd be July, you know, Hey, let's, I heard they're down in the, you know, the Southwest corner of North Dakota. They had some good deer around the Republican river. We'd let's fly into, into Denver and we'll rent a car and we'll go down there and look for deer. That's what we did every time I had a week <laughs> off. And she was just such a great trooper because she didn't care what you're doing. You say, let's go skydiving. Great. Let's do that. Yeah. But so she was fine as long as we were just doing something and going someplace. Was she, but was she into hunting at this point? No. She was just going because she wanted to be with you. Yeah. It was fun to do. Yeah. I mean, after, I mean, in the later part, she was hunting, but right at first, no, she just, that was fun just to go and, and hang out and see different places and yeah and stuff so so that's it's it worked out perfectly you know that every at least one full week we would take off and go and look for deer someplace and then when it got to like the around the halloween time and wherever it ended up on my week off and then i'd sort of take that week and then i'd line up with my weeks of vacation and then swap around with somebody else for something else so we'd basically leave on you know close to halloween for iowa kansas Know, wherever and i wouldn't have to go back to work till like december you know so you had no you had november off so that worked you know great for a while so during those times we were just you know like and mostly through all those the years of working at the archery shop i had to meet uh you know dan perez was a was the rep for pse at the time and and just all the different products and trying everything trying every bow and arrows and releases and and everything and i had bunch of people that would come to me there for setting up their bows and and stuff and you get to know people like in the hunting industry and then at the same time through through college and stuff I used to write for North American Whitetail and Bowhunter magazines and write articles for those and you know just like back then you know as soon as Matthews came out with the, the Z lights and some of those way back then I just loved those bows so you, you know you're just using in your photographs as bringing photography and videography and stuff just like you are Cody yeah and just started that way and took all my own photos and stuff. And, you know, there was no social media or anything at that time. It was just like magazine stuff. So you'd see like Sentlock at the time and Matthews and all that stuff in your, in your photos. And so you're kind of building a relationship basically with companies not even knowing it. You know, just the right. stuff that just from working at the archery shop I had, you'd walk in the archery shop and it was like every bow, arrow, broadhead, release, clothing boots everything was right there so he said oh this is new. i've tried everything so i just had the things that i liked and you had an opinion on things and why you like this and that and people would come to you all the time oh well man i like what arrow should i shoot and this and that but so you're using them in all these photos and stuff and not like i said there was no social media it was just through magazine articles through your photographs that people would see that sure and so you know not knowing it at the time but companies were noticing that kind of stuff when you're uh you know writing all those articles and then you know through 
through the working at the archery shop, we'd go to the ATA show. Like Tiffany and I would go to the ATA show with, you know, uh, Bowan Archery, John and Sharon Larson mm -hmm. owned it, and they who their sons still do. Um, we'd go there, and then we there we met like Waddell and uh, the Drurys and Kiskies, and we're all we were all kind of the same age, and a lot of us were just starting. Like Waddell was just a a cameraman at the time, and you know Drurys were just starting their video stuff with Kiskies and Stoltzy and everybody. We're all kind of the the same age, and Jay and and you know Jay Gregory and. So we'd all just go hang out and stuff. And then, you know, through that, you know, those guys were just starting, like, breweries were starting video stuff, and Kiskies were, and, of course, Realtree had Monster Bucks. And so, they, you know, we were shooting, I was shooting big deer since you know, way back when, you know, doing the same kind of things that you're doing on small pieces, like, in near the city and stuff like I that. You told me, uh, was it one of your first big deer that yeah. was on, like, the, a small 10-acre piece? Yep, 10 acres <laughs> it was the first. I'm still... I mean, it was my biggest for a long time. What, and like, what deer was that? It was a deer. We didn't have names for him then. It was like, he was like, oh my gosh, it's a big one. That was, yeah. that's what you called him. <laughs> yeah. And it was a, a big 10. It was like 176. And, you know, just straight typical. And Was know. that, that wasn't your first buck. That was just your biggest for yeah. a while. Right. Okay. But it was like, you know, back when those first times you start knocking on doors and you hear about stuff, just like, you know how it is. It's like... These places were closed for a long time, yeah. like in Blaine, Minnesota. And then we heard, like, through my buddy Paul's dad, knew somebody was on the city council for for Blaine. He heard that, hey, they're going to open this this area up because there's going to be too many deer there. And so we were going, and so we heard about it before it was, like, public. And so we would knock on all these doors of these houses, and they're like, you can't hunt here. And said, no, they're going to open it now. They were going to. <laughs> And so some, a few of the people were, like, hunters themselves. They're like, well, no, I would hunt myself, whatever. But we did. We ended up getting, in like, three or four places there. And uh, and then, you know, that was just a whole different type now, of hunting that, scene. That was before trail sure. cams, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 So I got a funny story for you. When I, when I first started, uh, the very first spot that we got in Atlanta – we didn't have trail cams either. I mean, I, I didn't come from a hunting family. I had no, had no hunting background. My my first step into the outdoors was fishing. My grandfather got me introduced to fishing. I fell in love with fishing. I was walking down the pond at, you know, 12 years old and mm -hmm. spending all day down there and then walking home. And uh, we got we ended up getting this spot. Um, we were probably 17 at the time. We got it when we were 16. I think we actually really started hunting when we were 17. So, something like that. But basically started hunting this spot no cameras nothing and one of my first sits it was in october i had a buck run through the trot through this bottom and i'll i will never forget the image i have of this buck in my head and i was just like that deer's giant and he just had stuff everywhere well fast forward a month later it's in november a buddy a, a jay who's a very very good friend of mine now um killed this buck maybe 500 yards from, from where my stand was and it's still the standing state record for georgia and it was like 230 something wow and it had just <laughs> all these crazy extra main beams so like i you know with no cameras it, it kind of is exciting like it's just it's just an, you know you have no idea what's going to show up well the very first year the very first spot we got we were hunting the 
a 230 inch state record right had no idea and i <laughs> exactly. got a glimpse of them the one time and was just like <laughs> what in the world did i just see yeah that's you know, i would say that too people you know because they you know, they ban trail cameras out west in some of the states mm-hmm. and stuff like that and you're like you're like well, what would happen is it i'd be okay either way i mean it's they're the best tool but it but it was sure was fun back in those days just hope thinking you, you never knew any door you knocked on you saw big rubs it could be a 200 right you know now there isn't many secrets and so there's you know you, you can think about either way some some ways there's maybe bigger deer being shot because there are no secrets but they may not ever get as big as they were back in the hole in the horn days because anything that has genetics like that is normally you know every 20 people know about it and they're hunting it and it never makes it past five yeah you know so there's a pros and cons to it but there was something fun and, and the mystique about that before trail cameras you see a big rub just thinking yep. that man that could be a 200 right, right. there well, that's it's funny for me because like <clears throat> listen you guys talk about your stories and how you guys uh you know are so obsessed with it i was the same way in college you know i started doing the filming thing and and we were doing all the uh stuff for like new stuff and i was like i don't want to do new stuff like this. this is ridiculous and i was like how can i get around this and so i went to the deans and all that stuff and was like well hunting's a sport right so how can I make a a, a, sh- a show at, in college out of hunting and make it for my class? And so I shot a pilot, and sure enough, I was part of my obsession with hunting is where I went, and I made a hunting show all the way through college. And everybody told me I was never going to do it. And then hunting those that when I was hunting, I was hunting all those public land spots, and that's all I was doing. You couldn't use trail cameras and stuff, and so that was that was just bringing back memories because like all I would do is go, oh, I'd find the sign, and then like. You'd see the buck come in. It could be like a little four corner, and he'd come in and make the scrape. And you're like, "Oh well." Yeah, most of the time it was. <laughs> yeah, you're like, "Man, that's the buck that's making this scrape." Oh well, I haven't done all that work for nothing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> cell cams. Uh, I'm not gonna say they got me fired, but when the first cell cams first came out, it definitely. I quit my job, but cell cams are basically what made me quit because, like, I, I remember buying one camera, like one cell camera. I think it was a Spartan, and it was like you know for me like expensive at the time so like just to get one was a big deal had no idea you know i was like this literally sends a picture to your phone what like it was just the concept of it was crazy and at the time i was selling life insurance for northwestern mutual in in downtown atlanta on a high rise and i was miserable but every single morning you know i'd be in there and i was hunting the biggest deer of my life at the time and we were filming it it was our first deer we ever filmed uh and that was our step into the industry was filming that first hunt, people liking it. And then it just kind of sort of snowballed from there. But I remember being in the office and it's addicting. Like I'd be sitting there just like oh, checking yeah. my, checking my, <laughs> checking my app, you know, just to see if he'd shown up. And, and, you know, I was, it was October, November, and there was countless times where I'm checking my food plot and he's in there in daylight and like my whole day, it just was ruined. Like yeah, fo- the, the focusing on work sure. was out the door. Right. <laughs> and so I eventually kind of quit doing that because one, I hated it, but two, I just was with the cell camera. I was doing a really poor job. <laughs> right. <laughs> Way too distracted. Yeah. And like for me, it worked. I said that worked out great for years. And like we met all those people and then, you know, you know, we met David Blanton and Bill from mm-hmm. Realtree, and they're just like, hey, if the Monster Bucks, if you're going to, you know, shoot, you guys shoot a lot of big deer. And so at that time, you know, we were already, like, Tiffany and I going to Kansas and going to down down here to Iowa. And but you weren't filming any of that at the time. No, well, I, I, even since, you know, way early, I had, like, big video cameras. And not mm-hmm. hunts, necessarily, but I was always filming deer. You know, like right. all, so I had camera stuff, and I mean, because I, 
all summer long we'd be I'd drive around all these fields and you know we'd come down to come down to Iowa and Kansas and just always filming stuff and not for like ourselves hunting but just of deer so I had just libraries of deer you know over 10 years of just every single chance I had being down filming deer in fields and stuff and that's it was just an addiction for me there like I said in Minnesota you know when I first started in northern Minnesota there were very few deer and then when we got like in the suburbs and you know southern Minnesota more there was more but then coming down to Iowa and Kansas it just opened your eyes to a whole new world you're like oh my gosh I mean I just this is crazy I just you couldn't get me out of here Mm -hmm. you know and it was kind of the same thing it was like okay then then Tiffany and I had been dating. We'd been hunting together and stuff for, um, you know, five years. And you just, and finally when David Blanton said, hey, why don't you film some of that stuff you do? We'd put it on Monster Bucks. The very first year that we started filming, because I already had camera stuff, you know, so we just got lab mics and stuff like that. We had a great year. I mean, I shot a, went down to Kansas. I, I shot a 196 that got great footage. I shot a like 176 in Iowa and she shot a big one and and I shot one in Wisconsin too and she shot one in Wisconsin and Kansas we had a really good year in filming and surprisingly it was in focus and stuff like that but <laughs> but you know like I said we've been filming and I've been into photography through the writing and stuff for for so many years you know framing and all that stuff and it was we're used to using cameras a ton and, and you and Tiffany were just filming each other at this point right yeah 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 for sure and then you know that that next year, if it was on Monster Bucks 10, you know, they put me, I was on the back cover of Monster Bucks 10. I could have died and been happy at that point, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, Drury's and Kiskies used the other ones and stuff. So, and never for money. I mean, we didn't do it. And that's, I, I think maybe some people, I know right away, I have kids that come to us at shows and stuff, you know, how much do you think this hunt is worth and stuff. I said, man, you're thinking about it the wrong way. I don't, I don't know. And I don't care. I wouldn't, I just, I was just happy to be there. I wasn't thinking about money wise, you know, and I think for so many years we just gave people hunts and did stuff and promoted these companies and stuff through photography and everything else that so I get to the next point was we'll go back to that. Mm-hmm. But so, so then I, Tiffany and I, okay, proposed, we're getting married. We got married on August 26th and and right before that, it was like, okay, we got a promotion to a, you know, a new job there, and but it was going to be regular hours. It wasn't that, and it seemed fine, you know, going to be some months down the line, and it was fine in the summer. And so all of a sudden, we get start getting to October, and all of a sudden, it's not fine anymore. Maybe we can't <laughs> just leave her here and everything. So, just said one day, I called her up. I said, hey, "You want to go for lunch?" She said, "I ain't yet work." And I said, "Just." just quit and just moved down to Iowa because we had bought in a farm in Kansas already. And so we just bought our first farm in Iowa. We're just building our old, the old house that we lived in. We were built, it was just going to be a hunting cabin kind of for us. And, and you know, you married the right person when it's like been, you know, whatever, how many days that is from August 26th to October, October 1st. Yeah. And say, well, I'm going to quit. I'm going to move, quit my job and move down. And she's like, awesome, great. Let's do it. And, but, you know, <laughs> so, she was a flight attendant. Easy? Yeah. Didn't even, <laughs> and, awesome. and the one person, you know, most people thought I was crazy, sisters, parents, so that, but, you know, Tiffany's mom, Linda, always understood. She's like, well, good for you. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I said, well, I can just be, I'll start writing more articles and stuff. And Tiffany was still working as a flight attendant. She says, she can live wherever. 
it was, but it was a ha- It was, you know, it was more difficult for her because she flew out of Minneapolis, but so she could, she'd have to drive, you know, from here, you know, two hours up to, to Cedar Rapids, and then fly from Cedar Rapids there to start. You know, so it was, you know, it was a long trip for her to go mm-hmm. every time. But she'd been flying for like ten years at that point. She started when she was like eighteen there, and so she would try to get like trips, like especially when it got to like. You know, October, November, she'd take like trips to Japan or, or wherever. And so there'd be, she'd be gone for like five or six days. And then, but then she'd have the rest of the week, the rest of the month off because she would have enough hours in. Mm. So anyway, when we quit, we moved down here because we just, we just, it wasn't even done yet. Our cabin over there, our house, it was behind campus. We made it a little bit nicer and, you know, because we we're going to live there. And, and so it was like October 1st. When it quit, we, we were right down like on the second and, and hunting some. But but I remember it was like I remember it like it was yesterday, October fifth. She had to leave to go on a on a trip because that was that was going to be her long trip. She'd be gone for five or six days, and then we'd have the rest of October off. And then uh, when it got to November, sometimes she she would get the sniffles and call in sick because it was a union <laughs> job. They couldn't you know she'd be sick the entire month of November, so she'd have November off too. But uh, uh, I remember like it was yesterday I was over, I went over to Kiskey's cause I was like, I'm not going to hunt because you know, we were filming stuff for monster, monster bucks. If I don't want to shoot one, that's not on film or anything. And plus the first part of the October, you know, you can take a few days off. She'll be back in five days. So I was over at Kiskey's helping them combine corn and, and stuff. And I got a call from Aubrey Gale from Scentlock and like through these times, like doing articles and stuff like that. Um, I talked to them and back and forth and being an engineer, I always had ideas on how you should do things and how we can improve things. You and built that relationship. Yes. Yeah. And he called and said, Hey, we're thinking about doing a, another TV show. Would you guys be interested in hosting it? I was like, well, I don't want to talk about something, but I mean, the timing is perfect. Because yeah. I really don't have a job right now. <laughs> and so, you know, Tiffany got back and then I really, I think it was that year, um, I think still the stuff we filmed that year we had like on for monster bucks and things like that. But really it was from, you know, we went to the ATA show that year um, and got all the sponsors and stuff. And we had been, we had, I think we canned some of the stuff right there. So I think we started, we started shooting it like that, that next year and that was getting close. And so it kind of basically fell into our laps. I mean, like we were talking about, it wasn't something that I'm saying, Hey, I'm trying to do a TV show. But everything you're doing was, was leading that way just because your life, it was your obsession. We were, I was going to be hunting all of October, November, one way or another. It didn't matter to me if I, if I had to start a job, work there, and quit in October and just have to find another one. And I didn't really have a plan when I came down here other than all to start writing right now. But I did have, you know, there's Cargill in, in Albia, and, my, and I have a cousin who was a chemical engineer as well and he worked for monsanto up in muscatine i thought i can always hit him up for for that and even though if we lived maybe we'd have to live up by in muscatine but we could still have our place down here so that was kind of my backup plan but i would think about that on january 11th you know that year but luckily for us you know that aubrey called so it just kind of fell into our laps but just going back to you know we never asked for money for 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 anything even doing all the stuff with you know, with the photographs, and I would never call Matthews or anything and say, hey, can you send me some bows? I use them in pictures. We just did it. 
and and you don't realize how many people you know notice that stuff and so when we went to the ata show to to get sponsorships for the show i'm of course sent like had been around for a while they already they had a show already with phil phillips and, and stuff so they had respectful they knew that he could get it done and stuff but still for someone like the real trees and massive to put money down on somebody and when they, if they don't know you from adam it's like this could be i could be a big poacher so they don't want you know right. to be you know, to tarnish our reputation either. So that's what was hard about doing it. But for us, when we got them like, like, like nothing, just because uh, we've been doing things for people for a lot of years. Like we went to Matthews. Well, hey, this guy's been doing stuff for us for six, seven years, you know, in our in photographs and articles and stuff, never asked for anything. Same thing with a lot of these companies. So we got them no problem. And back, back then it wasn't, it wasn't that expensive though. You know, I mean, the Outdoor Channel, there was only, I think Jay Gregory was one of the first six. There was only like six shows on there or something. Right. And so we kind of had the timing perfect, too. Kind of that whitetail craze just blew up right at that same time. And everything. So it kind of basically fell into our laps, but but not really. Because, I mean, we just, if you wrote a roadmap to what you're going to do, that's what I would have done. But I wasn't thinking of ever doing a TV show at it the time. It was happening naturally. Yes. And, you know, but like I said, I think if it's something that's your obsession, it's going to lead you there anyway. Yeah. Because it would have, it, I would have never, I would never go back to not hunting all of October and November. I would have figured out some way, like I said, it may have been starting a job, quitting or getting fired because I wasn't there, like you're saying. You're, yeah. Your mind is someplace else when you get to September and, and stuff. And, and that, that's likely would have just we would lived in a double wide and <laughs> and then drove a fifty dollar car, but and I'd just work side job, do whatever I could until October, and then quit. And it's it's funny, uh, just sort of hearing that because like ours from our side, it's it's almost I mean, it's very different, obviously. Yeah, but it's also very very similar. Uh, you you can't force these things. Like it's it's got to happen the way it's going to happen. And I think when you go about it the wrong way and you're forcing it and you're just dogging, you know, some of these companies, like it basically saying that like money's what's important here to me. Right. That is the wrong approach for sure. And similar to like the timing with y'all with there being six shows on the outdoor channel and the whitetail craze and it all blew up. That was kind of what happened with us was like when we, we were doing it because we loved it. I mean, if you were to remove all video cameras from my life tomorrow, I wouldn't be doing anything different. I'd still be as obsessed as I am, yeah, and I'd still too. be as crazy about it. That's never what it's been about for me, and I can tell that your passion is what drives you, and it has nothing to do with the show or anything like that. It's You're going to find a way to pursue your passion, whichever, you know, right. whether you ended up getting a different job or whatever. And, um, you know, for us, it's just like, it just, I don't know, it unfolded in a way that it was meant to be. And then with our timing, we were just doing the, the video stuff because we enjoyed doing it. And we were like, these stories are just crazy with these deer. We've got to share these. And we just enjoyed the videography of it. Uh, and then we were one of only a few shows on YouTube at the time. It right. was us and a few other programs. And it was like the timing of that is when those shows blew up. And so even though... It's totally different worlds. It's very similar. Just exactly. the timing of everything is is you can't force it. It's it's all going to happen in its own time, and we kind of rode that that YouTube wave of people, you know, gathering con their hunting content from there. 
Uh, and we, like I said, we were one of a few shows that kind of rode that wave. And it sounds like y'all kind of rode that wave. Exactly. Of that, that TV. Yeah, so timing is a lot of it too. For sure. You know, and just everything kind of fell into place. But like I said, money didn't didn't make any difference to me. I mean, you know, I left a job making six figures to make. I think we made 30000 between the two of us. And then after, you know, she still worked. Tiffany still worked as a flight attendant for the first few years. And then it got started rolling and you had to you know it was just too much and she was quit and then when she quit but i mean we really made hardly any money for a long time and then I, I could care less as long as i had you know money to eat right and have to, sometimes we didn't <laughs> back then even when we were that's one big we thing that, like um you know that both of you you know you've ro- you rode that wave and you just took that like faith that it was going to happen but like fear never held you back and like i feel we were talking about this the other day how like fear is such a big proponent from holding people back and, you know the time it could be right everything could be perfect like they are the perfect person for it but they won't take that next step mm-hmm. forward to go do it and like that's a big thing that that both of you did that you know not a lot of people will do it's that leap of faith yeah for sure I mean, your leap of faith was leaving your job yeah, and and you know, our whole comfort zone. Yep. Yeah, all our family. I have five sisters and a brother. I'm super. We're a super tight family. Still talk to them all the time and and stuff. But it's just like, and it's hard. And you hear that all the time. You know, even you know, even you guys from from Georgia. All the all the guys that that uh, that I know from down there. I mean, I don't know what it is about Georgia. But it seems like everyone that that all of our production companies and camera guys all seem to be from Georgia. It's like, why are you living in Georgia? Why won't you live here? <laughs> so many of them are just like, I'd love to, but my family and my wife won't let us. And I get that. Sure. But for me, it's like me and Tiffany, we are our family. Wherever we go, that's our family. Our, like my sister and stuff, I still probably see them as much now as I would have if you wouldn't living up there. Because you, you get busy in your life no matter what. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not like you go over and see your sister every day. You know, it's like on birthdays and this and that, like anyone in your family, kind of. And it's like, well, we still do that. It might seem as much. I mean, maybe not quite as much, but, you know, they're still your family. It's not like you're, hey, I'm moving to the, I'm moving to Mars or something. It's like, hey, you can go see them anytime you want. Right. It's five hours. It's not like I'm leaving the country. I think my parents are still really confused by the whole thing. Because, <laughs> yeah. like I said, like they didn't, I didn't come from a hunting family. Like my parents they have did nothing against hunting. Like they, they love that. I love it, but it just wasn't their thing. Yeah. I mean, they're just in Atlanta. It's not, you don't have, well, at the time, I guess you don't really have that many hunting opportunities in Atlanta. Right. And so my dad, like I was telling Cody this last night, cause we, we were just kind of like, I just find myself a lot of times looking back on like the journey of how we got to this point of doing this for a living. And I'm just like, I, I can't believe that we're here. And that this is what we do for a living. Like, I've, I mean, it's, it's an extremely like blessed feeling, but I also look back on it and I'm like, there's so many things that went right that, that were out of my control that I'm just like, it was, it, it was bigger than me kind of thing. Like if we went back and did it again, there's no way we could do it the same. And I think about like each individual deer that, that we were killing out of Atlanta, that people were just like, there's no way. And that's, that's what got us a lot of, you know, our initial like eyeballs was people were just like, did you see this deer that was killed in Atlanta? And there was articles and stuff. And those deer just grabbed a lot of attention. It's like, you know, that deer crosses a road at, in the, for example, the big 200 I, t- I was showing you with the big yeah, curled yeah. beam. He was nine years old. 
living in Atlanta to nine is like, it's just against all odds kind of thing because like for any deer anywhere yeah against all odds he runs across the road and gets hit at four three two five years old like that story never happens or right. you know i miss my opportunity at the deer and shoot over his back like there's so many things that fell into place that i look back on and i'm just like there's no way if if you took me back to day one and said all right you've seen the roadmap you know what you got to do go do it i'm like there's no way it could happen again right and yeah, it, and like I like I said, for me, it wasn't even we never even tried to. It just kind of fell in our laps. But yeah. you know, everything just kind of fell into place. You couldn't if you if you were trying to, it might it probably wouldn't have happened because just the way even like companies took us in and and you know took us under their wing and helped us and and stuff. And if if you were maybe a, even approached it differently, if with hey, you know, I'll use your photos, you give me products, something like that. It, it, they may have thought differently of you and things and, you know, and just, you know, it, it could have gotten different in so many, in so many ways. And like I said, if you tried to, you probably couldn't again. But now when you look back at it, you see, oh, now I know how, why it worked. Right. It was because of your passion for it, not because you had a plan that way. It was, I mean, it was going to lead you. I would be doing the same thing one way or another, but it might not have been TV. It would have been. Yeah. Something through something else. I really believe that's like the passion for it is the only way that you'll ever make it because I feel like if your intentions are wrong, like you're in it for the fame or you're in it for the recognition, the money, that kind of stuff. Like you, I I just feel like that's going to flop. Like that is the wrong way to do it. And and it's almost like you're a phony in a way. Like for sure. It's not the passion for hunting that drive you. And that's what people love is, is watching someone that is clearly has like a, a crazy passion for deer and they get to just kind of, you know, learn and, and watch and things like that. But I think someone that's going about it in that wrong way, is just going to be sort of sniffed out at some point to like, for this sure. guy doesn't really love what he's doing. He's just doing it because of whatever the other reason is. Yeah. And you can see the people who are successful that you, you meet them and stuff. You, you see that. Yeah. And you can see why they're successful that way. And people see that, you know, that it's your true passion for it. You're not just trying to do it for fame or I always call it the hat signers because I hated it. I mean, I'm not like a social person. Tiffany is really social. She was just, she would go talk with anybody, but I'm not, I just, I'll talk, I talk about deer. That's, that's what I talk about. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not much that, all it's we've <laughs> talked about all week. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll just talk forever, but you know, it was super uncomfortable for me, like, to start with, like, on camera, or especially, like, appearances or even doing seminars. Oh, my gosh, just terrified. And it just was not that that way. I just, I would have, if, if somebody would have said, hey, well, you can go hunt like this. And, like, if I would have had the job, like, like when Bill Winky, he, down over, he, they had a hunting group over there called The Ranch, and he, he kind of managed it, and there was, bunch of different you know 10 different owners or whatever they all kind of bought into it and but he was like the ranch manager over there if i could have had that if they would have given me that job and i would just i would have managed that place and been able to hunt it still i i would have never done this i mean i would have been hey if i can hunt stuff i just would i was just not comfortable on cameras not comfortable talking with people i just i just wanted to deal with deer and i wanted nothing to do with being a hat signer and that's probably maybe why some of it worked is that it wasn't like hey i'm out trying to get my face on everything that i possibly can 
it's like, hey, I'm, my focus is on deer. I don't care. The rest of the stuff is just noise. I just want to focus on deer. But it was so awesome when it, when it did happen that way. And I think so much of it come across your pure joy for it. I'm sure you're feeling this now, or, or at least in the recent past. But I could still remember going up to, um, to Alberta bear hunting. And just thinking, it was like that first year, because like I said, it was like in October. And so we were going to do it, you know, the show. So it was in the next like spring bear hunting and just sitting up there on driving around on the Argos, looking, baiting bears and something, saying, gosh, I'm not going to work today. You know, it's like, man, it's like, this is nuts. I yeah. mean, it was just like, <laughs> and I think so many people feel that because I remember meeting like Luke Bryan for the first time, you know, and he would just hang. I remember, I remember him still, I was with with Blake Shelton and we're sitting around just talking at his bus and Luke was just, just coming up and he had like, I think there was like a fiddle player. It was a girl that knew Blake from, from, um, Luke's and they were over there talking. I remember him hanging out the window just, and they're just being crazy. I mean, he was just a kid at the time yeah. and just, and, you know, you can see how just that first time you get a bus and I'm going to go out man, I can't believe it. I'm out on the road and we were doing this stuff and you could see their excitement and all that stuff. And, you know, it's kind of the same for, for us, too, and you just can't believe that. How did that happen? You just fell in, fell into it. And, but those guys, would take, obviously, because they're super talented. For me, sure. it was just because I got lucky. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was telling uh, Lee, Lee Ellis right. yesterday um, that, like, you know, <clears throat> my first experience with you, you know, we barely knew each other whenever we first got into a tree. And yeah, then, you know, knew each other 10 minutes. 10 minutes later, we shot a deer, and I, I, that was my moment where I had that, like, am I like dreaming? Like, is this actually happening? Like, there's no way that like, for, for me, there was no way I was standing or in a tree and Lee Lacoste was right here. And then there was a dead deer right there. Like all that just lined up right there. And it blew my mind. Like at, at that point in time, I was, I was up here and I was watching everything. I'll just down here, you know? Yeah. And then, um, just, just to have that feeling and like to experience that was something that like, I wouldn't give up for anything, any amount of money or anything, just because yeah, of you, the passion that I have. Think for how it. few people get to feel that, and that's yeah. the the thing, you know, to have like super passion for something, and then like when it's it's happening for you, you know, and it starts a lot of people like company, even starting companies or doing whatever, and all of a sudden you see it, sales going through. It's like, oh my gosh, it's actually happening. Yeah. But it's just it's a shame that everybody doesn't get to feel that because man, it's just and that and that's why I think like the gratitude for it is important that you recognize that, that like hundred percent you're in a place that people would literally die to be in your shoes. And I think about that all the time. And I almost feel like, why me at times? Mm -hmm. Like I don't deserve this. Like why me? Why me? And, um, so I, I always just like try my best to be like super thankful and not let any, any, any sort of recognition at all go to my head and, and just like, I've, I've had friends and I won't say names, but I, I've had friends in the same, you know, YouTube world that have just kind of like, they've changed. And like, I've never wanted this. When Drew and I started, we were like, no matter what happens, like at the core, we don't want anything that we don't want this to change us in any way at all. Like we need to stay true to who we are. And, and I've, mm-hmm. I've, I hope that we've done our best to do that. Um, because I do feel like it's pretty easy to let it go to your head at times. Uh, and I've had friends that have kind of, I guess, fallen victim to that in a little bit. And I, I understand it. Like I'm not trying to fault them in any way, but I think that like one thing I was going to tell you is that, and I, I think you're the same way that I've, I've always said this from the beginning that if the 
filming and the video of uh, and doing a show and all this stuff ever infringed on my like passion and love for pursuing a whitetail, I would drop everything at, at and be done with the filming side of it for sure. immediately. Because at the end of the day, like this is my passion and like it, I'd be lost without it in a, in a sense. And if it's like, if the filming ruined that for me, like it's really kind of ripping me apart from the inside to like that you're, you're something you love so much is being kind of tarnished. And hopefully I never get to that place. We haven't gotten to that place. I still love every day of everything that we're doing and it's just fun to be along for the ride. But I, I have recognized and I've told myself that if, if the filming and the show and all the kind of background round noise, if it ever interfered where it affected my love for whitetails, my respect for whitetails, my love for hunting, like I would, I would drop the, the filming stuff and just go back to just, just hunting again. Yeah. And that, and that won't either too. And I agree it's the same way. I know people too in the industry, like if you ever, if you were around back in the days, like we would go to Harrisburg for nine days and it's how many people that would come to you. I can't believe you stand there for nine days, you know, don't take lunches or don't go to the bathroom the other day. It's like, these people are my boss. I am so thankful for every one of these people to allow me to do this. Mm-hmm. Anyone stops us at any show. I, if you, if you find one person that says we've ever been rude to them or anything, they're lying. Yep. It doesn't matter. It's like we could be late for seminars. We could be we could be going to the hospital to have our first baby. If somebody stopped and wanted a picture to talk to us, we'd sit there and talk to them until somebody was pulling you, hey, you got to go. But I, I'll, we never, never say no or rude to anybody. I'm just so thankful for anybody that comes up and says, hey, watch your, your, your show or whatever. It's just like, hey, these are the people that allow me to do this, and I never – forget it. i don't have to tell myself that that's just inherently in me it's like this is my these are my boss i treat everyone like they're my boss well it's it's, it's who you and are i think as a that's person. why it's worked for so many years too i think people see that too because i've had other people in the industry and they're like you know oh you like let's let's go out for dinner i say can't you know it's like there's still a lot of people here and stuff and and they're like oh, who cares you want to look at those people's stupid deer pictures and stuff like that it's like Man, that you're looking at it the wrong way. I'd I'd love to see their deer pictures. I would, I'd love to talk to them about that. And of course, the per, the one that I'm thinking about in particular isn't really even in the industry anymore. Yeah. But when you, if you get to that way, you know, I think you're in it for the wrong reason. I would agree. You've got to be. I'm just. I'm still so thankful every day to be able to do this. And I, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me one bit if somebody comes in and wants to show you deer pictures. I'm always interested in, yeah. in seeing them and everything else. And it's not when I mean, you said like you quit the filming. I would never quit the filming because I was filming even back then. Because to me, that's the best part about it. I mean, some of the stuff like it's it's a business too that people don't realize. I mean, the contracts and business and you know, airtime contract. There's a whole bunch that goes into it just like every other business. And that's the noise that I I could do without the filming stuff. I would never not do because every time you shoot a deer i i guarantee my phone if you looked at the views on those things that are like you know, cody you know when you shoot one like you know you video you take it you send me the screenshot or we, we video it off our tv it when is, we're replaying yeah. it i watch those things two hundred and fifty-seven thousand times a week you know yeah. looking at those because those are my memories that i can go back you know when the, like tiffany never has never shot a deer off off that it was on camera yeah, but even some of the ones that we're talking about, like that very first one I shot, what that what I wouldn't have to have that over that again. Footage. I can see it over in my mind. I can see it in my mind right now. 
I goes yesterday, but I can't share that with anybody else that, that are pretty. passionate about it. Cause I love seeing, you know, like we were looking at your, what are your deer kills last night? And you just look at that. And I just love seeing those of everybody's and, you know, sharing those and it's so cool. And it, you know, you just to share that moment with them because you can't relive it, but that's the closest thing you can do to it. So I'd always be filming stuff. Um, and I'd, I'd be sick about it if I had something that I didn't, that I couldn't share with somebody. I guess that's where but it's my, the other noise that that you know could maybe take the enjoyment away from it but it doesn't i'll let i'll tell you right now it's been doing this this is our we're going into our 20th year of doing this and for me the hunting part has not changed one iota i mean you get a little bit sometimes for the business side of it like okay let's get through that but when you get to the hunting season then all that goes away i mean so some of the time the business side will get to you um, you know, it gets a little old, but the hunting side never does. For never sure, does that whole thing about being able to show people. I think that's where actually where like my whole my whole obsession and like drive came from to start filming was me and my buddies were always going out, you know, hunting and like we could shoot a deer and then we go back and tell people they're like, well, why don't we just start filming this stuff and like so we can show people and that's where it all really really started was we just picked up a camera one day and I'll never forget one of the first doe we went and filmed each other shooting uh-huh. and like stuff like that and we were just so excited about it and then we made an epic you know frog hunting video where we were shooting frogs with our bows and you know the old slow-mo when it was like all that stuff and you slow it down and like that just being able to show people i think that's where my my true passion really came from like i love the outdoors and everything but being able to show people the the what a lot of people don't get to see because a lot of people don't don't go out there and get to see what we get to see and it's just for sure for me that's almost like wow i, I feel bad for those people that don't get to do that you know i, I do love the filming side of it so i do too i was i, I guess i was speaking metaphorically of like leaving the camera behind mm-hmm. my i guess my point is like the the business noise yeah yes. that ever infringed i knew what you're it, talking but, about yeah, for sure. but if yeah if, if i never you know if, if if we didn't ever do this for business filming hunts is a lot of fun being able to like bring the footage back and watch it again and show your buddies. Like, I mean, I remember even like I had this Fox come in front of me one time and it was like playing with a stick for, for 15 minutes and I was sitting there filming it. I'm like, this is the crazy, this is amazing. Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait to get home and show Drew and Kendall and all my buddies. Like this is, and it's just something as stupid as a a Fox just playing Mm -hmm. with a stick for 15 minutes. But like, I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever, but yeah, there's all those things that I remember we were sitting in a Tiffany and I sitting in a stand on this creek and the buck was a nice one like a four-year-old one we weren't going to shoot but a really nice one with stickers and splits and I still remember you know the thing was chasing this doe around chasing it around up there and he just comes he just leaves the doe and comes running down the creek and just boom pops down in there just panting laying like right below us you're like oh my gosh can you believe that this thing is like right in the creek like literally five feet from the base of our tree just panting just laying in the water and you have other ones that's chasing a doe, and she went into the pond on that same farm. And this buck is swimming. They're swimming around, chasing her in the pond and stuff. Just stuff that, you know, you don't see every day. And you have just libraries of all this cool stuff. And that, you know, someday you'll go back through all that stuff and start looking and finding some of that stuff. And, you know, just things you can't, you don't see every day. Like you said, the fox with that, how many neat things you've seen like that, just to share it with people is is cool and I said since I was yeah. a kid we we had great big old cameras you know we didn't have these little little things we had these high eight cameras and the big beta cameras and stuff that I'd have out there and it was, it was funny because I never thought of like filming a hunt because 
where when like I said when I was younger like that it wasn't like we even saw any deer yeah. <laughs> hardly you know and it, to shoot one it was like you know we even with my bow when it first started maybe every three or four years it shoot a doe even have an opportunity at but I just love filming stuff out there if I saw you know the times that I did see a deer or something like a doe you weren't going to shoot and just I just like filming stuff I never really even crossed my mind to film me hunting stuff yeah you know yeah. in those days it was we just had so few opportunities at at deer sure and you're just hunting by yourself i know you've got to take off yeah i'm gonna get out of here okay it was great talking with you guys yeah you we'll, we'll have yeah you'll be on another one i'm sure but i i think like for me uh some some of those like whitetail moments have been so meaningful for me like i get excited even just like being able to show my kids one day and my grandkids one day like the fact that those moments have been captured and are kind of archived that like, I mean, I, I watched back some of our videos, not in like a, I'm just wanting to beat my own chest kind of way. I look back at those videos to relive those moments. And it almost takes me back to that place that I get to like almost relive it and enjoy it again, because that moment meant so much to me. And it's just like, it's, it's cool to have that captured to be able to kind of like take yourself back, to right. that moment and you know, like for most people maybe who at least have have kids can can realize like for me just like when cameron was born that day and when reagan was born and the pictures like you don't have your first or, or any child without having pictures and videos and all that stuff and it's it's the same thing it's like yeah. people are like, oh, oh you're yeah. comparing your kids to deer hunting it's like no i'm saying that's the way that they think about okay i have my first child i'm gonna go look at these pictures a thousand times but it's the same way for us. People are infatuated with deer. You're going to go look at those pictures a hundred times, and they're just things that are such great memories, like the birth of your kids, to people who aren't infatuated like us. So maybe they help them understand what it kind of means to you. Yeah. That's the only thing I can really compare it to. Well, I, I, think, I think some people like that, like, like we talked about earlier, just they don't have that deep, deep, deep passion for something. So they, it's hard for them to kind of comprehend that level of like, just you know care for something and so i i you know i feel blessed in, in a huge way that like i've found something that i care so much about that yeah, me sort too. of brings me to life in a way like you know I, I i again i can't imagine my life without hunting um and i i feel bad for people that haven't found whether it's you know croquet or you know right. playing checkers or what, like whatever it is i feel bad that like some people haven't found that one thing that they are just like deeply, deeply passionate about. Um, and I'll kind of segue in this to my next sort of thing is that I've spent the last couple days here with you guys. I've sort of had a crash course, just, I mean, just scratching the surface a glimpse at what you guys do here. I mean, I've, I have seen maybe a, like 0.5% of <laughs> right. the work that goes into it, barely even scratching the surface. But we have found a pile of sheds. I mean, we've scoured your farms, sun up to sundown. And as soon as we get back to your house, we're looking at trail cam pictures. Right. And it's March. <laughs> it's March. Right. People are thinking about fishing. They're thinking about turkeys. Right. And I just like that. I think that success in the fall is not just effort that is put in like, Oh, it's, you know, I, th I think a lot of people are like, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. I love to fish, 
so like and i and i like the turkey hunt and so like my gears will will sort of change like i'm i want to go bass fishing today and i'm not thinking about deer as much or i want to go you know try and chase a turkey but i think uh you i i feel like your obsession is it never ever turns off i feel like mine heart like does turn off at some points but then it quickly comes back to okay i'm thinking about deer again i've gotten the fishing thing out of my system i feel like yours never shuts off and we've spent all day and like you know, exhausting ourselves looking for antlers and we're still in there just like scouring through trail cam pictures. And when most, when 99% of deer hunters out there are not even deer is not on their mind right now at all. Right. But I think that the work obviously, and again, I'm speaking from a a place of like, I I've only seen just a very, very small fraction of what y'all do here of the 365 days a year that goes into this, that pays off in the fall my version of that is different that I do most of my door knocking, uh, oh, not most of it, but a ton of it in January, February, March. It's a, the best time of year for us to get hunting permission and find deer to chase for next year. But I know personally that if I hadn't spent the time in January, February, and March getting these spots, scouting, finding these deer, putting the pieces of the puzzle together of what this deer does 365 days a year, my falls would be significantly less successful if I were not doing that, that portion in, in, in the spring when most people, um, are, are thinking about fishing or turkey hunting or just, you know, kind of something else. But there's a different level of obsession that comes, but that comes with thinking about it 365 days a year. But I think people just like, don't really understand how the level of work that goes into it around the clock every year or every day of the year. And it doesn't stop. Uh, and I just think that like, you can only put so much in a video, right? So like, you know, they're only getting glimpses like of the highlights. For sure. They're not really yeah. seeing the day to day that the months and months and months that kind of led up to that moment. And so it's been really cool for me just to like see like, you know, when I look at this place, I don't look at like just a nice farm. I'm looking at, holy cow, like this is, this is so much work that has gone into this. And I can't even begin to like even have an intellectual conversation with you about <laughs> land management and what you're able to do out here. Cause my hunting style is, is very different. Right. But and it's I, still in the same thing. You have to be thinking about it right now. And like, like our season ends January 10th and the 11th. We're getting feeders back out where that, I mean, like this is the time, like I said, like we, that's interesting that you say the same thing that right now is the time that you're, it's super important. And for me right now is a super important time because you get, you have food here and we get feeders out and everything else. This is the one time when there's not food, you know, we live in Iowa, it's agriculture and everywhere, but it's the one time there's really your deer probably struggle for food. So it's the one time I can recruit neighboring deer. Yep. in here you're not going to do it in the summer unlimited food they have their little place and it's hard to recruit new ones but we get them here and and if you can get new deer that come in which we do a lot of times because sometimes you'll find sheds that you've have deer you've never seen before and you guys got me on that yesterday so i still owe you on that but uh i'm, but a, little, I'm a little looking over my shoulder because i know that i've got something coming to me at some point but see, even that is not that unusual because there's there's deer that come in because we have the food and that was a perfect place to put it. It was a cornfield. That's like one of my last, you, you've walked some of our food plots that we have 
15 acres, 17 acre food plots, and they are wiped Demolished. out. I'm telling you, 10 deer didn't do that because you know there's 300 deer in there. But yeah. during the hunting season through the summer, you go out there, and there were deer in those bean fields, like where we went last night. And but there might be 30 or 40 deer out there, and those are probably your resident deer that live there, and that's their home area. But you get to late season, there's 300 in there. But see, when, if you're, their goal is right now, like I said, it's the one time you can recruit deer from other places, and a lot of times some of them stay. And that will, and, and that goes right back to shooting management deer. You got to get the old ones out of there. Mm-hmm. And you know, we really focus on on that even during the season because if I've got some good three year olds coming up that we look at, say, this thing is going to be a giant, just like the one we found of that Tiffany shot mm-hmm. on that specific spot on that farm. There was like three bucks in there that I think are going to be superstars, but there was also three old bucks in there that are going to keep them out. And even the six by five that you guys found the six, the very first shed you guys found the first five seconds of walking yeah. out there he's like one that i have a feeling he can he's gonna blow into a big one yeah and you could see he was in that middle part of the of the food plot with all of them we had a feeder there and we pulled the feeder out you know during before hunting season we have obviously all the food there you, you put we just put feeders where there's food anywhere just to get inventory so you don't have to have so many cameras right like so people think you're feeding them to kill them or anything like that and i feed them to keep them healthy and feed them what they need and to take inventory and that's all I really need is inventory. You know, if you're, you, I know the farms, I know where, where you're going to hunt these deer. Mm-hmm. But the minute that velvet stripped and they kind of start, okay, now we're kind of starting to get ready for rut right away. They're already establishing their pecking order. You know, that deer moved over to the other side where our shop is and he's coming out that food plot, but that, that food plots one step closer to the neighbor's property. And you're just like, okay, well, well what if another one, another old bully comes in might move him over another 200 yards and now he's on the neighbors so you're like okay i gotta think what deer older than him and that goes into even watching them all summer which ones are bullies which ones are okay with them and okay we gotta get that deer out we gotta get that deer out we gotta get this deer out and just pulling you know shooting management deer and sometimes a good deer too but to keep those deer there there's so much strategy that goes into all of it and if you just did if you weren't paying attention 365 days you just went, you wouldn't see all those things. Right. But that's the time, like right now, I was like, okay, I got to get feeders back. I got to get the, the pellets in there. I got to get them healthy right right now because it's, it's so much of it depends on on what they're going to do, antler growth. And you're going to jump the best. <laughs> and I, I've always said this to people, like, right, I feel like right now is almost the impo- most important time of what they're going to do in the summer. Because, like, if you give them the best head start they possibly can going into that growing season, as opposed to them, you know, still trying to recover from the winter. And that's when they're supposed to be growing their horns. Like, right. You know, they're going to get a late start. So like, yeah, what you're doing now to like all the effort you're putting in now to keep your deer healthy through this time is giving them that best head start that you can. But I never really thought about it, uh, that you're winning deer over this time of year. Cause I guarantee you, mm-hmm. you know, I know, I know a lot of people are serious about, their farms and hunting around here, but I guarantee you that you win deer over all the time of they find your farm, it's loaded with food and and then they just hang and around they don't leave. And yeah. that is like a lot of them. It, a lot of that is taking out some of those older management deer and stuff too, because if you, you get a lot of them come in and even though they might have their home core area and they might just go back there, but some of them, they come back, Hey, I'm dominant here. There's a lot of does here. And uh, we do relocate a lot. Of, a lot of them do. Even mm-hmm. that paddles buck that I 
shot this year. He lived on the farm to the north. You could have saw him there all summer, but he would always come back in, you know, when when they pulled the crops out. I think that was basically his home core area. But once the food came down, he'd come in for food and then for does and stuff. So we'd see him a lot, but not in the summer. You just knew it wasn't his area. Right. But if we didn't have the food, he would never come over there. And some of them, you know, and, and some of them could be opposite. It's like they're on our farm all summer. You get to October and they leave. And that's mostly because of competition and not because, hey, we don't have somebody else has better food because nobody does. Right. So you can, you know, you can lose some too, but that it goes down to you have to be taking management deer out and keeping your age structure. Not, you know, it, it, you don't want five old bucks with only one good one. You want to get the rest of them out. I mean, if you have all good ones and you leave them and you, you hope that they'll yeah. stay. And, I know, know those, but, those three to four year olds are extremely moldable. Uh, where it's like they're trying to figure out where they fit in. Yeah. And I, you know, I've been obsessing. I've, you know, about this deer I'm obsessing about in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so last year he was a three-year-old and the area that I have pictures of him now, he left that area. Uh, if I remember it was January 17th from two Januarys ago. And the reason was because there was too many old bucks in there and he was getting pushed out. Well, this year, uh, I killed, there's, I don't, there's less of those mature bucks in there. I think, honestly, I think one of them that was a bully probably died of old age. He was ancient. Mm -hmm. There was another ancient deer in there and this buck was back in there. The, the young one that I'm watching, he's four this year. And I was like, I've got to kill that, that old bully in there because I, I put my cameras on video mode and you could watch my deer being in there. The, the young one. And this old bully would walk in and just run him off and he'd be gone for the whole night. So I was like, I've got to get that deer out. And mm -hmm. as soon as I've killed that deer, the old bully, he's now staying in, you know, as to when he left January 17th last year, he's still there now and it's March 4th. Yeah. So I'm, my hope is that with that pecking order sort of being reestablished that he may be hanging in that area a little bit more. I think he's still going to relocate because, uh, they're very food dependent and he he's he's going to definitely end up in a kudzu patch somewhere hopefully it's you know i'll find him again but i know that he does not summer where i'm at but i know that starting late october to essentially now he's in there right but i know he's gonna leave and so i'm just trying to like maximize my spot there that whatever he's done with his kudzu patch and he sheds his velvet that he's going to come hopefully right back to my right. spot there. Even if I can't hunt him, get access right. around the kudzu patch, uh, that pecking order is, is really important. I was, I was going to kind of ask you and cause like, I, I feel like I never, we're never going to actually figure out deer a hundred percent. It's just impossible. No, Cause they're all, di they're all different. I've, this is my question to you. Cause you made the comment that you think that, uh, just kind of the hierarchy of things is what forces deer to travel. Do you think that, it's instinctual that a deer just cause I I've seen deer that are homebodies. I've seen deer that just travel and go like crazy and they all have different personalities. Right. But do you think that, uh, it's instinctual that like from when they shed velvet to where their, you know, rut ranges that they have to travel and leave and kind of relocate? Or do you think that, uh, if they are basically the top of the pecking order there that they'll summer there, and they, I mean, if, uh, granted, they have food and does and all th everything they need there, that they'll just stay. 
in that area. I mean, do you think that it is more of a, they're, some of these deer are leaving because there's other bucks that are pressuring and pushing them out? Or do you think that it's still instinctual that like some of these deer just change areas just because it's kind of in their DNA almost? I think it, I may have asked a confusing yeah, question. Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you're but. saying, but in it's, you never know with a deer, but I, I find that more deer will tolerate, you know, deer on top of them and they'll still stay there, even though they might be more of a prime breeder someplace else. I think it's, to me, from what I've seen over the years, I think that there'll be a way more, I mean, because, you, I mean, I guess it depends on does too, because we have, you know, we have a lot of does as well, even though we, we try to take out a lot of them. But you'll see some deer that that will leave, and you you see because you, you look at all your velvet pictures, and you go, oh, I wonder what happened to that deer, and and they're gone. But it's way less than the ones that stay, and even when there's dominant ones there over the over them, you'll be it's surprising how many even mature deer will stay in a smaller area, but. But it goes back to what we're saying. When I have a good three-year-old, I try to take the older ones out around just not to give them any reason to. But for the most part, a deer will will stay even during the rut. I mean, they might be gone for a little bit, but they're always checking back in. Mm-hmm. Like I'm surprised at how many bucks will stay in a small area um, even through the rut. They'll at least be checking in for does there. It seems like when they get a spot where they like, yeah, and the rut might be different. They might go out, but they seem like they're always checking back in. It seems like once I have, I have very few that leave and I never see again. I mean, I guess I should say that there are a lot. There are some, but I'm always assuming that they're getting shot yeah. or something. Maybe they are just relocating, but um, you know, they, they're, they're so different because they have different person, just like people. But for the most part, you take humans. You have your outliers, but still, it's like it's a bell curve. Most of the people do kind of the same thing. They have their same routines. They go to work and come back. You got the outliers. I think deer are the same way. You have the bell curve. The majority of them kind of going to do the same things, but you're always going to have on both sides of that curve that just don't do what you expect them to when they leave for whatever reason or leave for two years and then come back later. And we've had that happen. Yes, I would love to know like why, like I, I, I had a deer this year and he was the dominant buck in this area and I'd had him there for years. I mean, I think he, I think he's six years old this year and I'm like, he's the dominant buck here. He was there until October. He's been there for five years, six years. He crosses the river, goes three miles away. And if I just wasn't lucky and had a spot all the way over there, I wasn't looking for that deer. He just showed up on a camera I had at one of my other spots way away that deer is totally relocated and he has not been back to where he's been the last six years. And he would have been the dominant deer there. And there's just, there's so many examples I can think of in my head where I'm like, why did that deer do that? What was it? Was it the food? Was it because these are the does he wants to be around? Is there better cover here? Like pressure pressure. Yeah. Like what was it that caused that deer to do that? There's so many variables probably that go into why a deer would do that. But um, I feel like you probably get a lot of really good like case studies out here of just cause you watch so many deer right. on so many different farms <clears throat> and how they interact. Um, 
and I, we could probably talk about that, that for hours and, <laughs> yeah, and you hours. Could. But and you'd never solve it. You no, never really no. know, but it's interesting because there's so many. Like we're fortunate, we have farms that are fairly close, like from here to to Smith and down there. And I've had deer like that. Some of that Tiffany shot have been like they live most of their lives over there, and often they show up over here, yeah. three miles away. And this is like in December too. And it's like, what is he doing over here? And then she shot him back over there. And it's just like, it's weird. Why do they just go and do the things that they do? I guess you just never know yeah. on the things. But I think what makes someone a good deer hunter <clears throat> is being a sponge and not acting like I've got it figured out. This is yeah. what this is what these You'll deer never do. Figure that out. No, you, you, it's it's impossible. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but. I want to ask, what is your most memorable hunt? Because you've had a lot. You've had a lot of success. And, and maybe it's not even whitetail. But what is like one of the hunts that sticks out the most in your mind from your hunting career? Right. And then and why? Yeah, there's so many. It's hard to pick, you know, because, I mean, obviously right now, since I was just out with Cameron on his first hunt, and that was just like, it was probably, you know, the best hunt I've had in a long time. You know, but there's, there's things like that. And even like Linda's deer, like her, um, her first deer with that muzzleloader out of that grain bin, I showed you. And that was just so awesome. So many of them like aren't, aren't my own. That seems like so many of the great memories like this year, one of my best, like Tiffany and I have hunted together. I mean, 90% of all the animals that she shot, I've filmed or been there. And the one this year was just was like one of my favorites again that we did the triple tree stand and just to be there. And maybe it was so special because we used to film together all the time. And now we really haven't for 10, 15 years. Hardly. We have our own camera guys. She goes to hunts and I go hunting. And I don't get a chance to sit there with her. So maybe that was so memorable. But in the big picture, I look back, Gnarls Barkley will always probably be my favorite. It's the deer that still most people remember, you know, from us. Um, my brown bear is one I'll never forget, and my moose up at Shockey's. Those are the ones that stick out that were just bam, bam. And you know, deer it would be gnarls, and then uh, and then heavy D, those the ones on the pedestal in my, my house yeah. there, and just a lot of those because they're kind of you know, firsts. You know, like gnarls was one of the first really big deer, you know, because you hear a lot of people shooting 200s and, and stuff now. And we're kind of figuring all that out because I look at, um, like we went, goes back talking about the feeding thing like with feeders. And I've, I always had feeders the minute I was down here and like I said, to take inventory, but I was, I was just putting corn in them. And so like the first 15 years that we were here, we shot one, 200 and maybe knew of two others. So getting a deer to 200 is, is not, it's not an easy thing. They're like one in a million that can do that. And then to get them to the right age that they can do that. I mean, there's just so many things that go into it. You look at it even deeper. It's like, okay, a deer, that a buck and a doe have to be in perfect shape, breed early enough. That fawn has to be born early. So there's just so many odds at that point. And then it has to, you know, the, they have to be no coyotes there to eat them when they're, when they're born. And there's just so many things that go into it. Even, you know, you say, oh, you got to get them to five. But just to get one with those genetics, like when you see does getting bred like in January and stuff, those deer, the, the fawns that they have will never be a big one. 
they're always a they're always going to be behind if they're if they're born late um you know in into the summer it's the ones that it's the does that are in prime shape bucks in prime shape they're, they're breeding that right away the first ones that get bred in october born early those are the ones that have a chance to be big but only if the genetics are right on both right. sides so i mean it's i mean it's <clears> like <throat> it's like mathematically to get one to go to 200 is it's nuts if you try to try to figure that out it'd be a it'd just be a, a you fry your brain thinking of what it takes to get one that has the genetics to do mm-hmm. that and everything falls into place right and then to get them you know to five years old but so look at all those years in great places and how many how many times like in kansas and iowa i went around we'd go with spotlights to video and see what kind of deer were were out you know and just how many 200s i think i had even seen is very few but then once we started feeding not just corn but started thinking about the health of them too with the with the analogics like their the pellets and different different uh ratios of roasted soybeans and soy oils and and then minerals and all this stuff and then now i've shot you know, five of them in the last six years and had other ones like the other one that so died. I don't know if you got hit by a car or, or what, but it was on our property dead. And so some of it is, I think there's a lot of it is to nutrition and a lot of it is to, you know, letting them get to that age. And, and probably a lot of it is recognizing a deer that could do that at three, like you're talking about, and maybe clearing them out. But I think so this, that's where I think a lot of it goes into what we've learned and not just luck of the draw that hey there happened to be a big one a big one here and i think i think a lot of them could be real big and like like you're talking about some of the deer you're shooting because they can get to the seven eight you said nine year old deer and stuff like that is because they live in residential areas where very limited hunting access it's not just anybody can go there and you have to you know how much work it takes to get permission on a on a place like that, you know, cause that was kind of the same way. I mean, growing up, we had to get permission from people and it was a, it was, it was hard back then. I can imagine now. It's even. a little bit more difficult now. Yeah. And <laughs> some, some, uh, some Yahoo started posting YouTube videos about it. Now it's right. apparently popular <laughs> in suburban areas. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, uh, when you're the third or fourth guy to knock on a door, <laughs> right. It's uh, it gets a little more difficult, but yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for an animal like that to exist is is a completely against the odds. Yeah. I mean, even even the the deadhead we found of that two year old. Yeah. He was no doubt going to be a, a two hundred mm-hmm. inch deer one day. Yeah. But for whatever reason, and yeah, you said it was I guess right after he shed velvet. Yeah. You know, sickness or just right. something. Yeah, you uh, don't know. They get hit by cars or whatever, and we pretty much have tapered off the ehd with the feeding program Mm -hmm. but that was a deer if you look through all my photos i have a couple pictures of him here and there but he wasn't like one of our deer that are just boom on the feeders all the time and maybe he got ehd because it's like i said we we haven't had any ehd since we started feeding with the analogics program that we had then they kind of designed that to prevent ehd not to say we haven't had some die from EHD, but there's a lot of them that just come in that aren't, they're kind of on the fringe, you know, they, they're, or they might be one of those deer that are just really spooky feeders. They don't like other deer around. They're not social and stuff. And just goes back to every deer is different. And so, you know, I 
who knows? It could be EHD, even though we don't have like the well, mass there's, there's kill off. There's a thousand ways that these deer die. I mean, he could have been sure. gored, or I mean, even the the deer in Atlanta that I'm, you know, he we think he probably nicked his foot on barbed wire or something. It's like that could right. have easily gotten infected and killed him. Right. There's just there's a million ways for these deer to die, and yeah. sometimes it's just like something really small nicking their leg, mm-hmm. and it just you know infection gets in their bloodstream and kills them. Whatever whatever it is, it's just you know, I think, and I was going to ask you kind of like, what is your main driving factor? Like what, what drives your obsession? And for me, it's like, I love finding a super unique animal. And, and that takes a lot of like time searching and trying to find that one animal that has just against all the odds beaten it. And it sounds like it's, it's a similar deal here where it's like, you know, what what y'all are doing here is unmatched. I mean, passing 190 inch deer at five, yeah, stuff like that. It's just like 99.99 percent of people in the country are not doing that, <laughs> right? And y'all are maximizing giving them a chance to get to that right age. But even even in perfect conditions, it's still so hard for a deer to get to that age where they become that you know they they reach their full maximum potential and like you know, even on some of the best ground in the world, like it's still so, so hard for a deer to get to that full prime potential right? and, and blossom into a, a 200 inch deer. Right. And I think a lot of people maybe misunderstand trophy hunters in general and me in particular. Of course, everybody wants to shoot a, a giant 200 and stuff. I mean, you can, there isn't a hunter in the world. They said, man, would, would you like to have shoot something like this? That would say no. Right. So it's like, obviously you get your people that, oh, you're just a trophy hunter. You just, I mean, obviously people are jealous and that's just human nature. They want to you know, try to tear you down on social medias and stuff like that. And I, it doesn't bother me a bit. I, I get it. I mean, I was jealous of Bill Winky and these guys too at one, at one time, you know, <laughs> that, but, um, it's not necessary it's not it's no different for me than the guy sitting in pennsylvania right now that's never had an opportunity or never has even seen a hundred inch deer okay so like i grew up in northern minnesota and this is what i'm going at is there were really no deer and so the first buck i shot was an eight point and it was maybe maybe 80 inches but for me that was like the biggest deer I mean, it was, I had never seen anyone in our group shoot one that big event. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And then, and then I shot like a little forky, like two years later for me shooting two bucks and like my uncles and stuff, I'd been hunting there for 12 years. There's my uncles and my dad had never shot even a buck in that entire time that I hunted there with them. So to me, it was like, man, it was just like the highest of high being able to shoot a buck like this. So to me, it's like, it's no, it's not a different. I just want it to be difficult. I want to do something that's very hard. And it, like for, if I lived in Pennsylvania or something, didn't have the opportunities, just like I, when I lived in Minnesota, didn't have the opportunities. It was the challenge of shooting a buck and just work and work and work and red and red and red everything. And even at the time you're like, okay, I wasn't shooting a giant deer like I'm seeing in these magazines but I was shooting, I shot two bucks by the time I was like 16 up there 
where I've been, my uncles and my dad even, my dad, the whole time that I hunted up there with him, he shot a couple of does. He'd never shot a buck in the time that I hunted with him there over those 12 years, whatever. So I still think like the, my passion for it and obsession for it and reading for it and, and learning. And I'd go up there in the summers and, and look around and find like in the swamp, it was all like tamarack swamps and stuff. And like, you know, where there'd be any scrapes. Okay. This is where I need to be near. And to me, it was still, even though you look at it, if you looked at it, if I put those two racks out here, people go, oh, yeah, that's nothing. But those meant more to me probably than the racks that are in my house. But it's just, it's the same thing. It's like, now that I have access to it, it was totally different just from somebody who lives in Pennsylvania or just was happened to be born in Iowa. Okay, there's lots of mature deer here because there's not a lot of people, there's not a lot of pressure. So your, your chance of you seeing a 140 or 150 are probably pretty good. If your chance of seeing a 150 in Pennsylvania, they probably never will see a 150 there. But it's, it's not like I'm looking for the size of horns. You're looking for what's the challenge, what's the hardest thing I can do. And I think that's what people maybe misunderstand it. Oh, you're just looking for, you just want to, you're just a horn hunter. It's like, no, I'm looking for something that's the hardest thing I can do. And that's why I love sheep hunting. But just like that guy in Pennsylvania, man, if he can go find a 120, you know, man, he's going to work and work and work and finally get that and achieve that goal. For me, it's like to shoot a 120. I'm not going to show that because I, we've got lots of them. But like a 120 there would be maybe like a 200 here. So mm-hmm. we're kind of, we're all doing the same thing. Everybody kind of wants, you know, it's for a lot of people, it's just to shoot a buck. And, but you, you want something more. And so once you've achieved this, okay, now I got to, if I want to shoot a 200 again, I mean, it's the, it's the search and finding one. What kind of, what kind of deer has that potential that can do that this three-year-old okay i gotta take out these deer around him so he doesn't leave i gotta feed and get the most food i want to keep him here it's just all this big process about i want to i want to bring it to keep raising by my expectations are different now than they were but i want that same feeling of i accomplished something to go out and shoot a deer it wouldn't be the same like the sense of accomplishment as it was when i was a kid so you want to keep it's no different than than these other people yep. and that's a, it just it kind of <clears throat> bothers you sometimes that you're just a horn hunter or whatever it's like no i want a challenge it's like okay do you think gretzky would have fun going on playing with the mites team right and you could just skate all around them and that's i feel like deer now i mean you can look out our windows here there's deer all over and i love seeing them because i love those animals but still trying to find one that's a 200 or something that's eight years old and get them to nine years old. Those are challenges to get there and then challenges to hunt them. I still want a challenge. And just like I said about Gretzky, I'm sure he wouldn't have a lot of fun going and playing with the Mites team or the Peewee team from yep. at the high school. You want to go to the highest level you possibly can. And there's a lot of failures that come along the way with that of like, Hey, you had your set sight. You've put all these years into watching this deer grow, and he gets hit by a car. Right. Or a neighbor takes him, something like Always that. setbacks. There's so many failures that go along the way that do lead into that one success story where that comes together. And I think that you articulated it perfectly, that it is about that challenge. Because, you know, if you were in some of these areas where we door knock and get hunting permission, if you want to kill a 120... That's an yes. extremely likely thing that you can do in a, in a hunting season there. Mm-hmm. 
but we are getting hundreds of spots because we get the same feedback of sometimes, you know, people criticizing like, oh, it's, you know, it's all about big deer and, and that's like, you know, you're a horn, it's all about the horns and right. like, you can't eat the horns and that kind of stuff. And like, you know, I, I agree. It is not always about the horns. I hunted Pennsylvania this year and we hunted it hard for three days with, you know, eight buddies and I ended up killing a, a little basket rack eight. And I was ex- just as excited over Absolutely. that deer because we worked our ass off to have a, ch- a chance at that deer. And I was just as excited over that deer as some, one of the biggest deer I killed this year because it was all of, it was a lot of effort that paid off and it had nothing to do with the size of the rack. It was just a different challenge in different places. Yeah. And each challenge is going to look different depending on where you are and what you're doing. But I, I think that you articulated it perfectly that, you know, for us with the door knocking thing, our challenge that we are pushing ourselves to do is, and is finding that, that one deer that just is that super, super unique animal and you fully commit to that deer. And that is the obsession that drives us is we spend all these days, all these months, all these hours driving around, getting spots, putting cameras out. And we're seeing good deer. We're seeing good deer. People, deer that people would love to shoot. Right. But it's not, that's not what we're, that, that rare, just, you know, that challenge of finding that unique animal that's that eight year old deer, that seven, eight, nine year old deer. And that, a, you know, a big buck like that is just a very rare thing. And it's very, very difficult to find those deer. And so, you know, I, I think you said it perfect that like, it's just the challenge of it all. Mm-hmm. It's it, it it's right. really not so much the rack, but the rack and age of the deer is what makes that deer so unique because it's extremely hard to find. But again, that's what sets out the challenge is to go find an animal like that. And, you know, again, I think you said it perfect, but, you know, the guy that's, if you're not around big deer like that, you know, right. You can't force a, two, a right. 200 inch deer we to do be the on same your farm. thing. You got to find one. I have to grow one, right. but it's, it's almost the, it's the definition of addiction. And if somebody is like a, an alcoholic or a drug addict, they would understand exactly how we feel because I, I've never taken drugs or any of that. My drug is deer hunting, but they, they say, you know, you hear from people, yeah, you take it once and you're just chasing that high all the time and you need more and more and more and more to feel that same way mm-hmm. i feel it's that's it is the definition of addiction i'm addicted to deer hunting that first buck, the first buck that i shot the elation that it was okay well now if i shot a forky again now i wouldn't feel that same way but i want that same that sense of accomplishment and yes you know it finally happened but it doesn't it, i can't get that from a 120 anymore so it's got you got to keep raising the bar, but I think it is the definition of addiction. So when people say, "Oh, you're just this," or if, "Oh, I could shoot a big one if you're there too," and all that stuff, it's like I want the same thing that you want. It just it's 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 different. You're just you just you just took your first hit of meth. I'm I'm I've been addicted to meth for yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a weird <laughs> analogy, but that's about the one thing you can compare it to. Uh, yeah, because you keep you're chasing that high that you had from your last big one i want to do the same thing but i can't do it on the on a on a 150 i mean you can't like like i'm going coos deer hunting this year for the first time because i hear they're super hard mm-hmm. and to, to hunt and they're super skittish and i'm going to try to you know want to spot and stalk them and, and stuff and it's like I, you can get that from 
I could still I could still get that high from uh it could be a 130 inch deer but if it was like a management deer and not necessarily on my own farms like I could go to somebody else's farm and say like I go to my buddy Austin's in in Kentucky and they're like his management deer but they're still always old deer and stuff and you're like okay this is a challenge I mean I would have loved to have this it's a whole new challenge it's a new place a different a different a different area I'm not familiar with but I can do with other animals like sheep it's like the hardest thing I mean it's wide open and you try to get spot and stock on those mule deer and stuff. so it's not always about the size but for me here in my own state in my own my own house so to speak it that's has, your challenge you're chasing you're you're chasing that yeah. that same high that you had yeah. from back then <clears throat> yeah I, I think that that was super well spoken and you know i think that uh i had a thought i was going to say and it kind of just slipped my mind but oh this is what it was so yeah i mean i think that like no matter where you are finding that you know i i kind of preached this this year because i i feel like i experienced i i stepped out a lot of my comfort zone this year hunting kansas for the first time spot and stalk like that's always been a dream of mine and kind of kind of had something to prove in a way that like we've we've proven ourselves with the suburban style and some of the you know hate that we got was like oh you know that's not a challenge and so like i wanted i was like no we've like we have the skill set i know we do i was like let's go prove it so i went and spot and stalked in kansas and i just like that was my challenge for the year. I was, I was fully dedicated to that. I didn't kill a 200 inch deer. I killed a, a really, really big deer, 100, you know, mid fifties, eight pointer. Yeah. Um, but like my elation and the, the feeling that I had of, of having that success and accomplishing that challenge that we, basically we'd set out to do, like that was the, my absolute ultimate high and you cannot replace that. Right. And I would, I would, and I'm going back to saying like, I've tried to preach this the whole year that it has, it's not the size of the rack that makes the experience of the deer. And I would encourage anyone dependent on what air you are is like, find that challenge, whether it's a mature 120, and that's the, the biggest you could find on, you know, where, where you're available to hunt. Right. That challenge is what sparks that obsession where it's just, it's all you're thinking about. And it's the, the every day you feel like you just, you're doing something to like, you know, towards achieve, achieving that goal. Like I feel like finding that challenge is absolutely what sparks that addiction, that obsession. And it's just like, it, it's that I cannot quit until I've achieved that challenge. And that challenge looks different for a lot of different people for depending sure. on where you are and what's available to you. Um, and so that's why I say like, it's not about the size of the rack. You know, you, you've worked your ass off to have what you have and your challenge looks different than what you've said about some guy right. on Pennsylvania. But that doesn't mean, you know, that guy fully dedicating himself to that 120 and it happens to him. That does not mean that 120 means less to him than your exactly. next big one you kill out here that you've dedicated yourself to. Right. And that's another reason why we've started, you know. I do a lot of mule deer and elk and you do other hunts because you bring that same mindset into like 
like elk hunting, even though the first time I ever elk hunted, it wasn't, it was like, okay, I want, you still want that challenge. You bring the management side into it. Well, how old is he? I didn't really care how big it was because every, every elk is big, but how old is he? And just trying to learn how old, okay, I want to get mature ones and stuff. And same thing with mule deer and everything else. You just, it's not so much the size of the horns. We shot lots of mule deer early on that weren't that big, but now I've shot some bigger ones and it's all about the challenge. But every time that you go hunt something, it's a different, it's a challenge because that's why I love going like elk hunting. It's out the spot and stock stuff is totally different than deer hunting. So I, I want the challenge there. And so you're always pursuing stuff like that. And that's why it's, it may, and when you do that, it makes you so much better hunter because really I'm a whitetail hunter. All these other things make you way better at whitetail hunting. And you'll see that. I mean, just your, the shooting, like how you have to focus on, on your archery form. And I've always, you know, a pretty good archer because it, you know, I just, the mechanics of it, just the way that I think is the engineering mind and working at archery shops for so many years and knowing the ins and, ins and outs of everything and tuning every arrow and everything else but just having to go sheep hunting if you think well i can't shoot past 40 well you might as well not even go sheep hunting i mean you might right. get one to come within 40 but likely you know you go to your western hunts like the sheeps and and even mule deer and, and stuff like that i mean 50s like should be a chip shot where 50s was basically you'd never shoot a deer at it wasn't even, you wouldn't even think about shooting a white dog at, at 50 you know and, and but being such a better you know getting to be better more efficient at shooting longer distances and knowing when you can shoot a longer distance and when you nope he's just you're not going to take a chance on on him ducking or something here and learning all that stuff it just makes you so much of a better hunter and a better shooter more confident in your shooting when you better shoot longer distances and stuff so just putting everything together it's just it, it's been such a great ride like we were talking about earlier just being able to never dreamed i'd be able to go in the mountains of colorado here and elk screaming and to the yukon looking over those mountain ranges with sheep and you're just like like i said you get you have a hundred every year you have a pinch me moments just like how did yeah. this happen right you gotta pinch yourself see how you <clears throat> did it but all those different experiences just make you so much of a, a better hunter and just ups your game yeah. and everything, everything. Every time you hunt something different, it you bring something back to whitetail hunting that you can learn on that. We hunted in Hawaii this year, uh, spot and stock on axis deer, and they're very difficult to hunt. Yeah, to hear. Uh, we also had terrible conditions. It was dead still, no wind, and, and like it was, you know, any any noise you made, just it was horrible st spot and stock conditions. Uh, but what I took away from our spot and stock for access deer in Hawaii is what paid off for me in Kansas when we were spot and stalking yeah. out there. I just learned things that translated over that paid off for me out there and we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. But I think backing up for a second on like the challenge thing and you know, when you're put, I don't care what you're doing. If you're putting yourself out there in any way, shape or form on social media or, you know, whether it's for. It doesn't have to be hunting related. It can be anything. You're going to get hate. You're going to get people that, oh, you know, must be nice or like, oh, you know, that's easy. Like right. anyone can do that kind of thing. I know we get that criticism of like, oh, we're hunting suburban deer. Like where's the challenge? You know, that's easy kind of thing. It sounds like you've gotten it from people saying like, oh, you know, where's the challenge of shooting another 200 inch deer kind of thing. But here's what it boils down to for me. And I know the same is, is true for you that 
if that challenge was removed from the equation, I wouldn't give a rat's ass to do this. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's that challenge that is what is driving me the whole time. Because like, if I ever got to a place where the door knocking and the suburban stuff was easy, I wouldn't care to do it. Yeah. Like you'd be doing something else. I'd be doing something, something else, else, finding that next challenge somewhere else. Cause that's the driving factor. Like, and that's kind of what I've always told people is, man, if it was easy, I'd be so bored of it by now. And I'd, I'd just be bored of it. I'd be over it and I'd be done with it. Right. I'd be finding something else. And that's, that's a hundred percent true. It goes back to what I'm saying. It's like for, for me here, like you said, when, what we've grown here and like you get people that be like, well, if I could hunt your farm, I could shoot a big one too. Yeah, you probably could, but that's, the house that I built, you didn't build it. I did. Right, right. You know, but, and like to go out and shoot a deer wouldn't be that hard because there's a lot of them here now. Yeah. And because I brought them here, you know, with food and all the things you do. So, okay, well, now I got to, now I want a, a, a specific age deer. Okay. You're just trying to, you want that challenge. And if it was easy, we'd be doing something else. Right. And, you know, you get people, well, yeah, food, go try hunting them in timber, you know, you with food pots, you try doing without food pots. I was like, well, that's like going fishing without bait, you know, throw your right. hook out there. And it's just like, Hey, I want to give myself the best opportunity to get deer that are a challenge to me here. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it's all, everyone's, we're all doing the same thing. I just hate that there's, there's people that, but it, it's human nature. Obviously I've it done it as well, yeah. you know, back in, you know, you're still jealous of people. And so you, you know, you try to make excuses for why they're doing it and you're not. And it's mostly because, you're maybe not smart enough, ambitious enough, whatever. A lot of right. times, looking back in my in in myself, I'm not talking about other people. No, but when I looked at myself, why would I be jealous of that? Well, because I don't take the time to do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not ambitious enough to do that. I mean, right. that's that's like for me, that's where the jealousy comes from. But yeah. so you can go out there and do it yourself, and that's I just like I think for a lot of people, they could you could. You can go do it. It's just how bad you want it. And yeah. for people like you and I, if you're obsessed with it, you're going to do it. And you'll figure it, you'll, you'll figure that out. Yeah. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for having me out here. This has been, I mean, literally like a trip of a lifetime for me. This has been like the coolest thing I've done all year. Um, and I, I've just enjoyed talking deer with you and, and sharing trail cam pictures and stories and things like that. And uh, I, I appreciate you all open your doors and, and the hospitality yeah. you've shown us. So I'm glad you came too. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm sure we'll be life friends now. Yeah. Cause I, it, you don't, it's you gravitating. Don't meet too many, no, you yeah. don't meet too many people that are obsessed with it. There's, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Have one over here right now, the I three leads in this room, three generations here. That's how you know, he was obsessed with deer and got, I was obsessed that we clung together. There's not too many, so many people that are just obsessed with it. Like we are and yeah. kind of small, small knit group you kind of know each everyone kind of knows each other so i'm glad that you yeah. came out and it was great that thomas and cody worked with you guys we got able yeah. to meet that way glad they were able to cross our path right. I'm, I'm aware of some of your stories that are unfolding out here you're aware of mine back home so i'm i'm sure that we'll be in touch kind of keeping each other updated absolutely on how that next challenge is <laughs> right <going. laughs> right all right thanks again yep. thank you buddy